God and each other. Connecting with God and each other. We were designed for connection. That's what I want to say. We were designed for relationship. I do want to read a passage. In fact, it's not a passage. It's a story. So if you don't like reading, I'm sorry. I'm going to read a lot of verses. Just relax a little bit. It's going to be fine because it's a story. It's a story. I thought about paraphrasing it, and I wanted to paraphrase it, but it's just better reading it. How many like just reading the Word? You know, sometimes it's just enough to read the Bible and go home. Because the Word is active, the Word is alive. If we approach God's Word with faith, oh man, nothing is impossible. There is not knowing what God can do. But this is a great story, and it's a very, it was a very consequential story, um, uh, in, in, actually in the history of Western civilization. It, it played a huge role in, in, in Christianity as we know it, and it impacted the world. In about 300 years, the world was turned upside down, uh, and, and, and right here at Acts chapter 9, there was something real significant that took place. And I want to just share a couple of things about God and his simplicity and the way he works. You know, in Isaiah it says this, that uh, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so as the Lord's ways above our ways. As far as the heavens are above uh, the world, so are his, uh, I guess I'm repeating myself here. His ways against our ways. God doesn't work, thank you so much, God doesn't work in, in our ways. And sometimes humans, we try to force God into our box. We create the box, we create the boundaries, and we try to shove God in there and try to, 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 to define God. We can't define him. We try, and so... We would have all human measures of understanding and say, well, prove God exists if, if this and this doesn't add up. And all he's asking of us is to, humble, to be humble enough to say, God, I know I don't know it all. I know I don't control it all, but I surrender to your will. I know you're smarter than I am, and I'm okay with that. And there are sometimes I don't even understand it, but I trust that you are faithful and you're good. Now, this story really impacts my life. I, th I think about it over and over again. And what, 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 uh, what amazes me is the simplicity in which God uses in touching and changing our lives. So would you read with me Acts chapter 9? I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested the leaders to address, uh, 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 requested letters addressed to the synagogues of Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of, uh, of any followers of the way. Now, followers of the way, that's, that was what Christians were called before the word Christian became a word. Okay? So, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the very, very early Christians, they were known to the way, as the people of the way, the followers of the way. So this guy just wanted to take care of those guys that thought they were in for no good. Um, so he, he, went, he wanted to bring them, bo both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he, as he was approaching Damascus, on this, his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. And a voice replied, I am Jesus, 
the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man with Saul stood speechless. You think? I mean, here, even a two-year-old would run out of words. You think? For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked up himself off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So he, companions led him to, by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling him Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go to the straight street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I will show him... I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he may see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard about many people talk about these terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And now he has the authority by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings and to, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's, for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you can, might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. We just read the conversion of the guy that we know, uh, history has known as Paul, the apostle. This guy, apart from Jesus himself, no one was more pivotal. No one was more, had more significance in the advancement of Christianity and advancing of the gospel of Jesus than Paul himself. I mean, we read the New Testament and 75% of it were his writings. I mean, even Peter and the 12 disciples who spent three years with Jesus face-to-face, sitting with him, eating with him, and, 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 and just knowing who he was, did not have the kind of impact that Paul had on Christianity. Churches' doctrines, denomination doctrines, are built on statements that Paul made. Marriages, finances, he touched on every area of Christian life and, and gave us sound doctrine and biblical doctrine that we, we keep to this day. Paul was a guy... And he was, his name was Saul, but God changed his name to Paul. And uh, he was a guy that, 
And I'm going to say God. I think this scholar say he changed his name to Paul to fit in with the culture that he was trying to reach. He preached to the Jews because he himself was a Jew of the highest order. Very smart guy, had, a, had been very well educated. He could take on a debate with any scholar any day about religious things. I mean, he could take him on. He was, he was passionate about his religion. In fact, the reason why he wanted to kill all the Christians, he thought they were just speaking heresy and blasphemy, and they had gone nuts. And he wanted to, he was so passionate about his religion, he wanted to destroy all these people that are teaching people lies. So his passion, he had the passion, he just had not met Jesus. And we just read his conversion. One thing that stands out to me in the story is this. When, right about the time when Ananias gets to hear a, a word from God to go and talk to Paul. Ananias says, God, you know, you know, you know who we're talking about here. Do you, do you realize what he's been doing? But God speaks as, I have a calling of a Paul, Saul's life. I have, he is a special agent that I'm going to use to change the world. I'm going to use him to reach the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? It's us. It's the other people that were outside of the Jewish faith. Um, he's the guy that brought, took the gospel to Europe. And we all know historically how Europe has played a big role in advancing Christianity globally. Where I was born in Kenya, Europeans brought the gospel. But Paul is the guy who went to Greece and converted the first believer there and started preaching there and debating with the scholars and being able to tell them, hey, uh, and winning over debates and winning them over to faith in Jesus. But Ananias, so for a guy that had that big calling over his life, you know what's interesting to me that, I, that strikes me? Is that God already had this ab absolutely amazing plan for this guy's life. You would think that if Paul needed someone to teach him, if God, Paul needed someone to lay hands on him, if Paul needed someone to tell him about Christ, that God would have chosen one of the 12 disciples, I guess 11, Judas was no longer in place. He would have called maybe Peter to come and bring Paul and tell him about Jesus. They said, you've been believing a lie. Let me tell you about Jesus. What really strikes me is how God says, and now there was a believer. The guy that's never mentioned in the Bible. This was the first time we see him. There was a believer, and his name was Ananias. See, there's this thing that we have in our minds sometimes, and it hinders the advancement of what God is wanting to do on the earth. Because we always think sometimes, we tend to think, let me not say always, that's a very, very presumptuous statement. We tend to always think, to think, remove the always again, I don't know why I keep saying always. It's easy to do this, to think that if God was ever going to do anything significant in our time, it's going to take a vocational minister, some guy with a collar, or degrees in theology, a guy that has read the Bible five times and can read it backwards from Revelation, you know. And God says, no, all I need to touch someone that could touch the world is a believer. Yes. Amen. All I need 
is a believer. No credentials were pointed out about Ananias. He had no idea the man that he would actually spend time and lay hands on and pray for and encourage in Christ and teach him about faith in Christ would actually have so much impact in the world. It changed the way the world would operate. You know, Christianity started out as a very small religion. It was actually didn't start as a religion. In fact, it was never meant to be a religion. The basis of it is relationship. The basis of it is relationship. And the way the world was such was just real people, ordinary people doing their lives, loving on Jesus and allowing Jesus to love him back and telling their friends about Jesus. Families were being changed. Communities were being changed. Nations were being changed. And for 300 years, Christians were persecuted terribly. First with the Jews, then the Romans. For 300 years, until th th three, 313 years, 313, the, the Roman Empire finally passed a law to allow freedom of religion. And they did this partly to allow for Christians to maybe buy into, because the Roman Empire was dying, and they wanted more people to buy into or to regain some trust from people, and so they abolished. And that's the first time Christians were ever really free to actually practice and worship God without maybe hiding in places. They meet in small groups. They meet from house to house. They shared their food with gladness. They prayed together. You know, Acts chapter 2 talks about how every time they got together, uh, they, they prayed with one another. They encouraged, and the message spread, and in all the continents were touched by people who had no technology. Their mode of transportation was so limited. A donkey maybe was one of the fastest cars those days. But yet they changed the world. Some years back, I, I, in Ethiopia, there was a, a, a ban on gatherings and Christianity, um, and Christians went into small groups. People could not meet like we did this morning and sang and worshipped and prayed in our congregation. And, 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 and a lot of the stories that come out of that era was that you would have groups of believers, you know. Maybe they'll have a pastor that they would talk to, and they'll give him a lesson that they would go in, and people in their homes would just meet and pray and all that. And over time, over time there, was a new, there was a new revolution with uh, Hill Selassie who came in and, and abolished all those limitations. And it had been a few years that Christians had ever come in a congregational setting. And the thing that surprised a lot of people is that when they got back together where they could meet, most churches had quadrupled in size because we, they went from looking up to a professional minister to every believer like Ananias saying, hey, I've got the Spirit of God in me. If I know someone that needs prayer, I pray for well, we Actually, we all need prayer. God can use me right where I live. God can use me with my kids. God can use me um, uh, with my family. God can use me with people that I meet. There was a believer who, I'm getting feedback. 
sorry, it's distracting to me. There's a mic that's on somewhere in front of this line. I don't think it's mine. There we go. Thank you. God had this amazing plan for this guy, and he didn't pick a professional to touch his life. The guy would change the world as we know it, but he didn't pick a professional. He didn't pick the greatest that day. In that time, Peter was somewhat the de facto leader of Christianity. Didn't ask for any of those. There's a believer in Lincoln, Nebraska. That God touched, that God used. So when you disable your iPad, and you know God wants you to just go on. God is a God of relationships. Everything he does, it's in the context of relationship. We are always impressed by masses. The ability to reach many, to touch the world. And God says, I'm going to touch the world, I'm going to change the world one person at a time. He displays relationship from the very beginning of time. He expresses himself to us as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God in three persons, but I believe God expresses himself that way so that we can begin to understand that he operates in relationship. When he came to recreate human beings in the story of creation, the Bible narrates that God, when he came to form man, he says, God came and formed man out of the dust of the earth, and he formed him. And he says that he breathed into his nostrils in uh, uh, Genesis 1.26, the breath of life, and man became a living being. So from the very beginning, where God created everything, he created everything by just speaking his word. He said, let there be, and the universe, which is so impressive, when we start thinking about it, and he, he spoke that into existence. But what, when he created you and me, he didn't just speak us into existence. He formed us. He touched us. He had his imprint, his fingerprints in forming us. And we didn't even come alive yet. He breathed right into us for us to become a living being. That's why there is a void, there is a connection that every person walking the planet, young, old, rich, poor, doesn't matter. There is a void that can never be filled unless one is reconciled in relationship back to God. So people will seek, they will find, they will go at great lengths. It's amazing to me, and I've looked at many like religions and how they pop up. Uh, growing up in Kenya, there are a lot of... Um, if I see of some of the different tribes and how they worshipped and how they, you know, before Christianity came, you're realizing... There are so many things that are in common. It's like, how do they think up this stuff? They might be off theologically as we know it now, but there was some sense of truth that you know it's been transferred from the first origin. Now it gets distorted for lack of teaching, but I believe that it traces back to the story of the beginning. 
And God has been in the quest of winning us back to relationship with him. And there is no other way to do that than through relationship. We were created to connect, to connect with God, to connect with each other, and to connect with the world. Jesus illustrates this when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He answered by a simple statement. He says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, the second commandment is just like the first one, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love can only be expressed in the context of relationship. To love God and to love people. He says, if you got those things down, you fulfilled all the commandments. You fulfilled everything I've ever called you to do. You got those two things down, loving God with all your heart, not holding back. Nothing illustrates that point better in my mind than this little toy that kids play with for hours. As parents sometimes, when kids, how many parents, kids, sometimes they just want electronics and you think, see, I'm going into those world and say, no more electronics in this house today. I mean, have you ever said that? Oh, come on. You know I'm talking the real life. And my usual, usually my default is like, okay, <clears throat> no electronics, now what? I'm going to keep him entertained? <laughs> Go get the Legos. I'm going to use those ones. Because they have, you know, I mean, you could play for hours. Let's get your creative juices out. And you could build warships, you could build planes, you could do all sorts of things. Uh, 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 the only thing I hate about it is that once they are out, you better get your shoes on. And you'll find it in places, you're like, oh my goodness, it's like, oh, electronic, Here, here's my iPad. <laughs> Clean up. But it's amazing the literature and how creative the person that built it, but they designed it with just a simple, simple thing to connect. To connect on top and to connect on the bottom. And you could add to the side if you put it right. And the world of imagination, man, there is no stopping what kind of spaceship you could build, how many war heroes you could create with these little toys that are designed to connect with each other. They come in different shapes, they come in different sizes, they come in different colors, and, uh, but they're designed with the same purpose, just like we are. We come in different shapes. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> in different sizes, different colors. But we're designed to connect, designed to connect with God on top, to connect with each other down here in the expression of love. And when we do get those things down, there are no limitations to how much we could grow. Paul had a mission, he had a calling over his life. He, I don't even think he knew how much impact that we'll be talking about him in 2019 in Lincoln, Nebraska. He had no idea there was such a place as Lincoln, Nebraska. That I could guarantee even though I wasn't there. <laughs> I didn't know there was a place called Lincoln, Nebraska just a few years ago. 
I knew about Omaha. But Lincoln, nobody knows about Lincoln. No, it's not a bad thing. I just didn't, I'm just saying the truth. I knew about Omaha. I didn't know about Lincoln was growing up. But, but Paul would be touching people 2,000 years later. And yet, God says, I'm going to teach you something. There's a guy that no one really knows about. In fact, he'll never be talked about again. And then I should thank me when you, I get to heaven that I'm bringing up your name here. Because <laughs> everybody just moved on. It's like his story just ended and everybody talks about Paul, the great apostle. But he needed just a guy that didn't have anything written under his name, never was mentioned again. But nonetheless, the guy played a role in shaping Paul's life. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I, God wants to do great things, but I'm not all that great. I never come from, I don't come from a great family or any, any of that. But God says, no. You're that one piece of the puzzle that I'm going to use it to touch just someone. And the impact of how that goes, it's not on you, it's on me. Just be faithful where you are at. To love God with all your heart. When your heart is fighting that love for God, content for it. I think that's why he says you love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. That means that sometimes it's going to be tough to love God. But you're going to cause your soul to love God. Like David would say in his prayer, he says, Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me. He's talking to himself. You can't, maybe in a service we had this morning, worshiping, you might have just been tired. Maybe got out of bed and barely made it here. If that's you, bless your heart. Thank you for coming. That's not a southern thing. I mean in a good way. But, but you fight your flesh. That's your strength. Is, you know, I'm going to focus. I'm going to give the Lord the praise that's due to his name. I'm going to worship him with my whole heart. I'm going to engage every fabric of my being in adoration of my creator, my God in whom I trust. And before you know it, something starts happening inside. And you go home happy. Then you came in. That's how God works. We talked about small groups this morning and it was great to kind of put faces in the main i mean i appreciate all the people that have opened up their homes open up their time to lead small groups that's great you know and the reason we do that is that the this expression that we're talking about loving god and loving people and growing in our walk in our faith really there's more input there's more growth that happens in that context than does happen on sunday morning listening to a sermon you get your teaching and all that, but growth happens when you walk in relationship with people. When you're praying with someone, when you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm the only one that deals with it, you find out that you're not the only one that deals with it. Uh, but, but, but together, we can see our victory together because we're standing in faith with one another. He called us for relationships. He called us to connect. And um, he called us to connect with him. Every one of us are called to three things. One, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. Second, we are called to love others. 
And thirdly, we are called to make disciples. In the story that we read, we see the narration of the whole thing in Paul's life in just 20, chapter, uh, 20 verses. In his way, on his road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. First, he had to become a disciple of Jesus. Think about the awkward moment where Saul and Ananias look at each other. Ananias says, you've been the guy after my people, killing my group, killing my friends, looking for ways to destroy them. Paul shows up in the Bible, not in chapter 9, but chapter 7 of Acts is the first time we see him. And he's mentioned just once in chapter 7. And that was when Stephen, another believer who was filled with the Holy Spirit, always loved people, sharing about Jesus everywhere he went. And he was getting stoned to death to reject Christianity. And that's a, one line there mentions Saul's name. He says one young man was standing there watching this happen. And Saul of Tarsus was one of the guys that watched Stephen get killed, stoned to death. That's the first time you read about him. And then next you read, two chapters later, you read now his conversion. All the believers at that time, they know about this guy. And God says, hey, because he, he responds to God and says, you know who you're sending me to talk to? Maybe he had unforgiveness about this guy. He had bitterness. I would have bitterness about a guy like that. First time I see him, get him in a put in a corner. I might use my old judo skills a little bit and just maybe lead him to Jesus right there. Yeah. <laughs> but God says to this guy, no, you're going to go in and you're going to minister to him. He addresses him. He goes, hey, brother Paul, that's an intimate term. You don't call anybody brother, especially someone that's trying to kill you. But God works on Ananias and he works on Saul in all the same moment. And he has to sit down and that this guy that he wanted to kill and listen to him talk. Talk about an awkward moment. But it shows the power of love. Martin Luther King said, there's only one power on earth that can transform an enemy into a friend, and that's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it ends, and I finish this, with the last verse that I read. It says this, And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue and saying he is indeed the Son of God. He became a disciple. He learned how to love others. And ultimately, he responded to the call of God of making disciples. He got letters from the synagogue. I mean, he was a scholar of religious law. 
And guess where he went to minister? Back to the synagogue. Back to the people, his own people. God will never, oh, well, never let me not use God, never, because he's not my, I'm not God. But God will often call us to touch people that are just like us. We will have more impact with people we can relate to. I know a lot of these groups who are talking, hey, come, come join us. Something maybe strike you. Get, in, get a part of like, hey, no, that sounds like something I can be a part of. Because that's where God will use you. Paul went back to the synagogue and God started using him in the synagogue and that expanded. We're called to be disciples. We're called to love others. And we're called to be disciple makers in Lincoln. I want to encourage you, don't limit God in your life. But what about my needs? What about all these things in my life? We read this morning when we were taking the offering. Don't worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. God already knows what you need. He knows how much money is in your bank account. He knows the miracle you need today as we prayed. God is good at taking care of us. Better at taking care of me than I'm, good, uh, I'm at at taking care of myself. He can take care of your situation, and he knows your situation. He knows your number. He's a good God. He means to do you good. Focus your heart on what he's called us all to do. Look at ways how God can use you. Use your hands. Get an opportunity to be used of him, um, to just touch other people. And sometimes the, the, the way you speak uh, about Jesus is just by being a loving person. Try a smile in the office versus going, you know, this is going to be a horrible Monday. That might be a good one for a start. And watch God take care of your business because it's just that good. Amen.